you are listening to Pankanori. The following is recorded in one take, unedited and completely improvised. Season 1, Chapter 2, Receipts. Oscar stood in his kitchen. A modest kitchen, a galley kitchen in a flat roof extension on the back of a two-up, two-down Victorian terraced house. And he looked at a gold watch that he had once bought for Agnes. He remembers buying the gold watch and the mood he was in and how much it costs. And he even remember, remembers the sales assistant's jolly face, which frustrated him greatly. For most people, it would not be unusual that you could remember such things. But Oscar wasn't like this. There was an ongoing joke within the whole family that Oscar always remembered the negatives and very often forgot anything positive. He can't remember dates, holidays, days out, memorable events such as weddings that he had to attend against his will. But every single time he'd been slighted, every argument, every time he felt offended or disrespected, he could remember it with photographic accuracy. He was a strange man, Oscar. He was a man that was both self-loathing and suffered from high self-esteem. A rare concoction. He developed various tricks in his mind. One of them being that any time anyone did insult him, he would, he would circulate their words over and over again as a kind of self-flagellation but doing it through the prism of someone else's words. This achieved two things. He got to be cruel to himself, but also let himself off the hook. He didn't want to admit to having any mental health or low self-esteem issues, so what he would do is don the mask of someone else and kick himself to near death. The watch looked different. Just as when a lumberjack fells a tree and shouts timber, that exact moment when the tree stops becoming a living thing and becomes an inanimate piece of material. All of Agnes's objects appeared the same. The watch ticked, just as it always did, and the gold glistened, just as it always did. Yet it felt lifeless, one-dimensional, like a monochrome, naive scribbling of a watch. That was in his hand. As he looked closer, he saw something glistening in the sunlight. It was one of Agnes's hairs. He plucked it and looked at him. It, a piece of matter that once grew in her head, a head that he thought he loved. Now, he says thought he loved. Now, a man who's been married for as long as Oscar was to Agnes, surely there must be love. And if anyone asked him, if he loved her, which no one did. He made it so. His demeanour and mannerisms made it very, very difficult to anyone ask him a question of any descript- anything deeper than what's the time or what do you want for dinner. He kept the people around him on a very simple, shallow plane by design. But if someone did ask him, someone interfering and meddling and snooping with one of them namby-pamby, touchy-feely questions, asked him if he ever loved Agnes, he would think... And he would think being asked that question is like asking a person if they've ever had a deep discussion with a Chinese person. When in fact they can't speak Chinese at all. So did 
he love Agnes? Did he not love Agnes? Or was it just that he was incapable of love? So as he looked at this hair in the sunlight, he pulled it up and he pushed it a bit further away from his face to the sweet spot where he could, his old eyes could still focus. Anything too close, blurry, anything too far away, it vanished like someone walking off into the fog. And with all the muscle memory and mechanical dexterity of a 15-year veteran working on a factory line, he opened the cupboard door below the sink where his little bin automatically opened the lid and he dropped the hair straight in. He and Agnes had little in common. He was into military memorabilia and would go on long trips to Belgium and France looking for things in the battlegrounds. Agnes hated such things. She lived in the here and now. She used to moan. She used to always say, why have you got to go? What's the point? Why are you going? Why can't you just stay here? Let's do something together. But he would get on the bus with his other dorky friends and they would go by ferry in those days. She used to moan and always couldn't wait. She used to say, don't go for too long, don't go for too long until his best find, August 1963. He came back with a German-issued bayonet. And although Agnes had no interest in military memorabilia, he knows that she must have had a begrudging respect and delighted in what he found because after that trip she never ever complained again he went more often for longer and she never said anything but he knew that deep down she was probably hoping he would repeat that find but he never did but there on the mantelpiece mounted was a german issue bayonet that he found in belgium in the summer august 1963 as he sat there, he'd never noticed how loud the clock was. Every tick seemed to be amplified, and the more he focused on it, the louder it got. He thought about his own mortality, which I think we all do in times of bereavement. And he's looked at the clock, and he looked at the sideboard, and there was Agnes, more of Agnes's trinkets and knickknacks, and he knew the drawers were stuffed full of her stuff. He started to think back at how unequal their relationship was that she had carte blanche to fill the house with her objects she fought tooth and nail not to have the bayonet mounted on the wall back then he convinced himself that she probably thought it was too valuable and didn't want to get it damaged or stolen but now he looks back everything in this house was hers apart from that bayonet he used to come home from work when he worked and there'd be two piles of his there'd be a pile of his stuff sorry and she'd say Oscar do you want this or can we throw it away and he would always give her about 30%. If she had 10 items, he knew that 30%, three of those items had to make it to the dump. And she never explicitly said, I want to throw your stuff away. But if you come back and are confronted with someone of a pile of your stuff, and they're saying, do you want this or can I throw it away? It's implied, isn't it? There's a, there's a tacit agreement that some of the stuff has to go to the dump. He didn't want to throw any of it away. But if he said no to everything, she would have got angry. And he didn't like Agnes when she was angry. Agnes sulked. So, 30% of the stuff would go to the dump, and of the remaining 70%, it would go back again, away, into which cupboard he knew not. Then, a few months later, he'd come home, and there'd be another 10 items. But seven of those items would be ones he'd already elected to keep. So he had to give away 30% of those just to keep her happy. This thing went on and on and on, and he felt like a pebble on a beach, just as the waves and waves crushed it until it became sand. Eventually, he would own nothing. He realised that the biggest thing about bereavement and losing your loved one, your life partner, 
was the amount of admin. Everywhere we look now, there was these one-dimensional objects that used to mean something and now mean nothing. They all had to go. But Oscar being a man, and if women are good at multitasking, men tend to be quite good at procrastinating. He focused on the ticking clock until it was so loud he couldn't bear it, like some sort of audio Japanese water torture. So what did he do? Decided to go out. He went first to the shop, a little Tesco's Express, no more than 45 seconds from his front door. In there, he always bought a science journal. He was one of the few people that still bought magazines. Everyone else reads things online. And he was a bit of a Luddite in that respect, although, as I said, very interested in science, particularly artificial intelligence. That was of particular interest to Oscar. He started to realise something as he flicked through the pages of the science journal. Artificial intelligence and these science tomes. Maybe there's a bit of a parallel there between religious books such as the Bible or the Quran or the Torah and spirituality. What is artificial about any intelligence? Isn't human intelligence artificial? He had just recently witnessed the hardware being switched off and with it everything that was on the hard drive in the Ram of Agnes disappeared in a tiny silent moment. He took comfort in the fact that we're all just computers and that time when our time comes, everything is wiped with a magnet and burnt. Nothing can be recovered. Most people would find that depressing, but Oscar, that made him smile inwardly. He looked at the bottles of pop, the Coca-Cola, the Pepsi-Cola, the Fanta, the Sprite, and noticed something about the world, something that angered him. The cans and the small bottles are all in the fridge, but anything larger than one litre, 1.5, 2 litres, is all on the cupboard, uh, on the shelf. Room temperature. Why is that? It's like there's a law. Why can you not buy a chilled two litre bottle of, of fizzy pop? He realised that it was like a scam from the big corporations and the uh, retailers. That if you want a cold drink right here and now, you have to pay a premium. Obviously, that the price per litre goes up at the smaller the vessel, which also doesn't make sense. They could say it's to pay for packaging, but it isn't. Things like this did annoy Oscar. As did the common obsession with coffee when oscar was growing up men drank tea women had coffee and it was such a rarity they'd have a thing called a coffee morning the first wednesday of every month agnes would have her friends round. she had a big stainless steel percolator where you could see the coffee being made through the clear handle like a fake diamond and the coffee would blub away and they'd all sit around and get special little coffee cups out that were shallower and had saucers and they'd sit around and chat shit while they drank coffee and eat those Nice biscuits that were like shortbreads covered in gigantic crystals of sugar, almost as big as a percolated lid handle. So he went to the local cafe and there he sat and ordered a tea. A very pretty young fresh-faced girl served him, wearing a vintage 50s dress and one of those girls that have got the random tattoos all over her legs and arms, nothing connected, nothing related to each other. She basically looked like a doodle pad. Breakfast tea? Just a cup of tea, said Oscar in a curt tone. Right, okay. Milk, sugar? Milk in a jug, sugar on the side. Why do they ask for milk and sugar? Just bring it. If I want to put it in, I'll put it in, thought Oscar. And there he sat and started reading his science journal, taking his mind away from the admin back at home. It was all overwhelming and he couldn't quite face it. The girl came back with the tea moments later. There you go. 
Oh, read you into science, she said. Oscar looked up over the top of his reading glasses. I am. I wanted to go to university to do science. Really? Yeah, I wanted to study artificial intelligence. Oscar took his reading glasses off. Very interesting, what stopped you? Oh, I'm not from a rich family and by the time I looked into it, I would have come out with like £35,000 debt and that's no way to start your life, is it? No, I must admit, said Oscar, I do feel for your generation. I received a grant. Oh, really? Did you do science? I didn't. Humanities. Where did you go? I went to Manchester. Ooh, good university. Red brick. It was. I went there because of the great experimentalist Ernest Rutherford. Have you heard of him? I don't think I have, she said. He looked at her dress up and down. She was very pretty and cute. Not in a creepy way, but she was very fresh-faced and innocent. There was something about that he was drawn to. Maybe in a fatherly figure for the child he never had. What's with the uh, vintage dress, he said. Oh, everyone calls me Vintage Valerie, even though it's not my name. It's just an alliteration. My name's actually Claire. But yeah, I always wear wear the 50s stuff. I love it. I love all of it. Hmm. I've got a lot of it I've got to get rid of. You have, she said. Unfortunately, I just lost my what? I'm so sorry, said Claire. Don't be. She's in a better place now. But I've got loads and loads of dresses. I, I, I don't know what to do with them. I'd be... What size was she? He looked her up and down again, this time taking in her curves. Hmm, probably not too dissimilar to you, actually. I think probably the same size. Same size. Would you be interested in selling them? I'd love to come round and look through them. I'd get first refuse. I'll give you a fair price. I'm thinking about donating them to a charity shop, he said. That's fair, she said. Well, let me know which charity shop... And I'll go down there the day after you've donated them and I can buy them. That way I get the dresses and the charity shop gets his cup. He looked at her. She was so innocent. I'll tell you what he said. Why don't you give me your number? Maybe I will sell them to you. You can come and take whatever you want. Deal, she said. And she went off to serve other customers. Just as he left, he went outside and she was stood smoking. Don't forget to give me a ring, she said. I won't, he said. He looked at her. There was something slightly off with her. When she spoke to him, she seemed to be looking at his left ear. He wouldn't normally ask something like this, and it was quite forward, but he went over to her and said, Claire, can I ask you a question? Sure, she said. Is there something up with your eyes? I'm sorry? It's just that when I speak, they just don't seem to... Sorry, I know it's a very forward thing, and I wouldn't normally ask such a thing, but... I don't know. Is there something going on with your eyes? Oh, you probably picked up, she said. I'm actually on the spectrum. Spectrum, he said. Yeah, I've got Asperger's. Ah, Asperger's, he thought. What motherfucker hasn't got that these days? Oh, so it's a form of autism, isn't it? She goes, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's quite good, actually. In today's society, being able to remember PIN numbers and passwords and focus on computers is actually quite beneficial some people actually say it might be evolution in action that we're getting towards a more sort of like sedentary administrative way of life interesting he said and he held up the scrap of paper with a number on it anyway expect a call i will she said and off he went he got home and started going through agnes's things He opened up the wardrobe and looked at immaculately kept dresses. 
From the left of the wardrobe was dress, dress, blouse, skirt, dress, blouse, skirt, dress, dress, trousers, jacket, dress, dress, all women's things. And on the right hand side, there was possibly an inch where all of his shirts and jackets were scrunched in. Agnes could have been, was quite a selfish woman as he looked back, although everyone would have said that she was a long-suffering one. He pulled open the top drawer of a chest of drawers where her underwear was. And as he started emptying it out into a black bin bag to go to the landfill, because nobody wants an old woman's underwear. Well, they do, but he didn't want to get involved in such murky worlds. He found a watch. Much more beautiful and, and ornate and opulent than the watch that he'd seen downstairs, the watch that he had bought for her. Why on earth was did Agnes have a second watch? And why on earth did she wear the cheap one that he bought her when she had this much nicer watch hidden at the bottom of her drawer? He threw it on the bed and thought no more of it. He emptied the second drawer. Oscar thought in even numbers. He always did. When he did the volume on the TV, it had to be an even number. Whenever he left to go to the house, he would always leave on an even number. Just strange things like that. And he noticed that the top drawer, two bin bags full of underwear. Second drawer, two bin bags full of T-shirts, clothes, jeans, shorts. Third drawer, the bottom drawer, one bin bag. How strange, he thought. As he looked down, he noticed that the bottom of the drawer was a different colour to the, top, the bottom of the other two drawers. He pushed it, it flexed. He pulled the drawer out. It was heavy, much heavier than it should have been. This was a quite a cheap flat pack chest of drawers that they got from Ikea made out of MDF and God knows what. He placed it on the bed and pushed the rear left-hand corner of the base of the drawer and it tilted. The front flapped up. He grabbed it and lifted it. It was a false bottom. What on earth is going on here, thought Oscar. <clears throat> he lifted up the piece of wood and there underneath was a tin, a biscuit tin. The sort of tin that stays in a family for generations. He'd wondered where that tin had gone. It used to be in his worktop full of old bolts and screws and batteries. And one day he came back from one of his trips abroad, no doubt, and it had disappeared. Well, he'd found it. He took the biscuit tin out and he walked downstairs, placed it on the dining room table and sat there looking at it. It was an old brand of biscuits that have now disappeared. Family delights, they were called. He made a joke in his own mind about how old these biscuits were and how unhealthy they were, and they were probably made up, made of crushed up asbestos or something back then. Better times, tougher times, when all this health and safety nonsense wasn't a thing. He opened the lid, and there inside were letters. Lots and lots of letters. Letters with Polaroid pictures, Polaroid pictures of a man, a man he didn't know, a very good-looking man, a man with his shirt off, rippling muscles, abdominals glistening as he leaned against different cars from different eras. Agnes had known this man for a long time by the looks of it. He was a very, very attractive man, although something was strange. In every picture, you couldn't quite make out his face, but it didn't look like by design. Nothing had been done to the photos. They hadn't been smudged. or There was always a a light effect across the camera lens that just slightly obscured him so you couldn't quite see him. As Oscar started reading the letters, he realised exactly who Albert was. Agnes had a lover, a long affair. He looked through the, all the letters and he went back to the earliest correspondence. The first letter she, re she received was him saying what a wonderful time he's had and he can't wait till next time. And the address 
uh, the date, sorry, 13th of August, 1963. There was one letter right in the middle, pristine, stamp on it, address on it, unsent, unopened. He pulled it out. It was something that Agnes was sending to Albert, but she'd never sent it. He opened the letter with a butter knife, which used to drive Agnes crazy. And therein was a letter from Agnes to Albert, telling him that she regrets everything and can't see him anymore. She never got round to sending it. She never quite wanted to end the relationship, even though she wanted to. Oscar's life flashed before him, like the end of The Usual Suspects. He questioned everything that ever happened all of a sudden. And he sat down on a chair, let out a huge sigh and dropped the letter on the floor. He looked down to pick it up and there next to it under the table was the scrap of paper from the cafe. He rang it. Hello? Hello, is that Claire? said Oscar. Oh, is this the guy from the uh, cafe with the dresses? It is said Oscar. Oh, you've had a change of heart, have you? You were going to sell them. I was hoping you would. No, I just wanted to say something. He said, right, okay. She said, I'm listening. He said, have you ever heard of the Uncanny Valley? The Uncanny? Yes, is that the thing? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, he said. The Uncanny Valley is a phenomenon where the closer we get to replicating human behaviour, the larger the discrepancies seem. Have you ever wondered, he said, how we can impart so much character and humanity onto a tiny yellow blob like Pac-Man. Yet if you're watching a CGI film and the hair isn't quite right, it looks more jarring. Our brain isn't willing to fill in the gaps and bridge the uncanny valley. Yes, she said. Well, have you ever asked yourself this? Why do humans have a propensity to do this? Why do humans have a... I have no idea, she said. I do, he said. You exist in the uncanny valley. I do. Yes, he said, you do. You and all of you spectrums, there's something wrong with you. When you're in the tribe and we look and you look just like us and you act like us, but you're a little bit off, it's repugnant. I'm, I'm sorry? You disgust me, he said, and you shouldn't be allowed to breed and your parents shouldn't be allowed to breed and I hope you die. What? Why are you being so mean? She said. Oscar hung up and stared at the wall and realised that might be the best question anyone has ever asked him. He leant down again and picked up the envelope and looked at it. He now had an address. 75 Suffolk Road, the other end of the city. It was time for a road trip. 